Welcome to Encouraging Truths for Today. We're glad to bring you this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. Now please join us as we learn to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. Ephesians 6. We'll begin reading in verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles and schemings of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand and to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation. Let's pray together. Father, as your word was read earlier, as we have sung, we have celebrated your salvation and your deliverance in our lives. And how grateful we are and how dependent we are upon that reality. We are desperate for our next breath to come from you. And so, Father, today, whatever spiritual battle that we are in the midst of, teach us what it means to wear the helmet of salvation. So, Father, it's our prayer that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us from your word and that we would hear from heaven today. Because unless you speak and unless we hear you, I have nothing at all to say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you read through the spiritual armor and God's spiritual armory, this one causes some reflection. It gives us a cause to pause because 
it's kind of strange. Just think about this. He says the helmet of salvation. This letter was written to believers in Ephesus who had put their faith and trust in Christ. In chapters 1 through 3, he has celebrated what that salvation has done in their lives. Therefore, it's kind of strange when you are reading through the armor and he says, put on the helmet of salvation, they had already been saved as the scripture describes it. Then you ask the question, shouldn't it come first in the list if if it's salvation? Well, it, it, it can't mean that kind of salvation, can it? It is strategically placed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul to help us understand the nature of the spiritual battle that rages against those who are the recipients of God's salvation with a capital S. So let's think about the way that the Bible talks about salvation. Salvation is not something we put on, is it? We don't put on salvation, but here it calls us to put on the helmet of salvation. Now, think about the nature of salvation and and turn a few pages back to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at verses 8 and 9. Many of us have committed that to memory and to heart, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." So it's not something we do. It's not our works that saves us. So this cannot mean salvation as referred to here in Ephesians chapter 2. Then if you look at Titus, if you move back toward the end of the New Testament, you'll come to the books that begin with T. They start out with long, get shorter and shortest. Just Titus chapter 3. When you find these words in Titus 3, beginning in verse 3, very similar to the language that he used in uh, addressing those in Ephesus. He says in Titus 3 and following, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So based upon Ephesians 2 and Titus 3 and a variety of other passages of the New Testament, Our salvation, when we come to Christ and we trust his finished work on the cross to save us, is completed. We are saved. For you are saved by grace through faith, 
And then it says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. So if we are saved, then what does it mean for us to be commanded to put on the helmet of salvation? That's what we're going to consider today. What is the nature and the necessity of the helmet of salvation for those who are already saved? Well, in the Bible, you find salvation presented in three different tenses, the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense. We've looked at the past tense. Then you'll find the present tense where it refers to us being saved. And when we read those passages where it says you are now being saved, uh, you might think, whoa, 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 I thought we were saved. Well, we are saved, but now we're being saved. And then you'll find the future tense, you will be saved. So here's the picture that someone has given us. Past tense, we have been saved from the penalty of our sin. Present tense, we are being delivered from the power of our sin. And future tense, we will be saved and delivered from the presence of sin. Isn't that good news? Uh, That's the full thrust of what it means to be saved. And so people who think, well, all it requires is a decision where you sign a card and join the Jesus Club, so to speak, have missed the whole point. God wants to begin a work in you, and he completes it in the day of Christ Jesus. He carries you through. He has saved you, he is saving you, and he will save you. And so when we look at the helmet of salvation, it's not talking about past tense, it's talking about present tense and future tense of that salvation. A synonym for salvation in the Old Testament is deliverance. Remember when uh, David is praying in Psalm 51 and he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation? He, uh, not my salvation, he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation to God. He was talking about God's deliverance. Uh, When it talks in passages, similar to the one today, where he has saved us or delivered us from enemies. So today I'm going to interchange those two words, salvation and deliverance, because uh, we are saved and delivered from the penalty of sin. We are saved and delivered from the power of sin as we grow as a believer, and then we are saved and delivered from the presence of sin. Now, Scripture is the best commentary on Scripture. People have often asked me as pastor, what is the best commentary I could get? Well, uh, if you have a Bible, that's the best commentary for Scripture. Uh, Scripture explains other Scripture. And so, this image is not new here in Ephesians chapter 6. So, um, let's turn to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. This will give us a picture of, from the Old Testament, what the present and future tense of salvation looks like. He's speaking about the people of Israel and their sins, but then he promises them a deliverance, and in this passage, you find the same image, the helmet, 
of salvation. We're just going to read the whole whole chapter because this is going to be so helpful. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does anyone plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave a spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, but from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hand. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places." We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. And remember, salvation means deliverance, but doesn't that sound like the kind of culture we live in? For your transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities... We know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation and deliverance for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Now, here's the picture. They are overcome with the sin of of, uh, their hearts and their lives. It's a messy thing. The Lord finds no one to intercede, and so he comes to represent himself. And notice what it says about the Lord, verse 17. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as his cloak. 
according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, the coastlands he will fully repay. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come from Zion and to those who turn from transgressions in Jacob, says the Lord. And as for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them, my spirit who is upon you, and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time forevermore. And then notice how the next chapter begins. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That is a messianic prophecy, isn't it? That one will come out of Judah as the great deliverer. He will come as prophesied in Scripture, but it says when he comes, he will be wearing the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. And so Paul is saying in Ephesians 6 that we are to take that image of the helmet of salvation and apply it in our lives as a representative of Christ. Now, Christ being omnipotent and all-powerful did not wear the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness for protection. It was symbolic of his character and his identity as the Holy One Messiah chosen of God. But in a reflection of him, we are to put on the helmet of salvation to enter into the deliverance that he has promised us as believers in this world. Isn't that a great image that he's chosen here? Now, Paul knew the Old Testament Scriptures. He was a student of them. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees prior to his conversion. He, he was immersing himself in the Old Testament Scriptures, and when he became a believer, he began to unfold the image of the Old Testament so that they could understand it in that New Testament world on this side of the cross. So, the helmet of salvation is all about deliverance and destiny. That's the context of Isaiah 59. It's a promise of deliverance and destiny. There is a better day ahead. Deliverance and destiny. So here's Satan's scheme. He wants to defeat you. He wants to discourage you. He wants to drive you toward disorientation and dejection and despair. Therefore, you put on the helmet of salvation. So here's the first thing I want us to see when we think about the helmet of salvation in Ephesians 6, 17. It's a picture of divine assistance. Those who belong to Christ have help for today. You're not in it alone. God is with you. The Holy Spirit is indwelling you. And the one who is indwelling you has equipped you with this spiritual armory 
for the battle. And so when you think of the image of putting on the helmet of salvation, you're preparing for that deliverance to come. And the picture here is that God is going to divinely assist you in the spiritual battle that you're facing, not just battles of your own making, but when you are walking forward, following Christ and obeying Him and being a disciple, when that is the focus of your life, He is preparing you and using you in that battle, and you must have on the helmet of salvation. He promises His divine assistance, and He gives us help for today. Now, that is good news. As opposed to saying, well, I was saved. Well, listen to this. Not only was I saved, I'm being saved. And not only that, it gets even better. Not only have I been saved and I'm being saved, but hallelujah, I will be saved completely and eternally with Christ. Isn't that great? So eternal deliverance is accompanied with temporal deliverance. My eternal deliverance is foreshadowed in my life by the temporal deliverances that God provides me. I want us to look at the book of 2 Timothy. Take a right there at Ephesians, right in the middle of the books that begin with T, toward the end there, 2 Timothy 3. Paul talks about salvation past and then salvation in the present, although it has already happened in his life. But listen to this. He says in verse 10, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecution I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. You see, the first reference was to a present deliverance that God did in his life. Now he's talking about that past deliverance, that ultimate deliverance from sin there that begins the process. Then he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, look down toward the end of chapter 4, verse 16. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me 
and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see the three tenses there of deliverance? Delivered in salvation through faith in Christ. Delivered through the struggles and the persecution of life. And then ultimately he will deliver me into his heavenly kingdom. But just think about what Paul is proclaiming there. Not only has God helped me in the past, not only will he help me in the future, but he has helped me in the present, even in my current struggles. And I just want you to know, whatever your battle is, whatever spiritual warfare is raging in your life, God is a very present help in times of trouble. That's what the Scripture says. But here's our problem sometimes. We, we say, God, would you deliver me from this battle? God, would, would you just uh, sub somebody in for me and, and let me uh, take a walk on this one? But God's desire many times is not to save you from the battle, but to save you through the battle. And that was the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He said, yeah, I've been in some battles. And nobody else stood for me. I hope God forgives them. That, that's fine because the Lord was with me. Sometimes when we're in a spiritual battle, we're more caught up on who's not there than who is there, which is him who matters the most, who will never leave us or forsake us. Divine assistance in that battle he gives us help for today. Now, why was the helmet important? We've talked about the shield. We've talked about the great covering that that brought, even as they gathered together and were shielded. And if that was broken, then there, were, there was protection elsewhere. But in a battle, those Roman soldiers not only had small daggers with which to uh, injure and kill people, they had something known as a broad sword. Perhaps you've seen this portrayed. One of those large swords, heavy and sharp, that you almost feel the, the strenuous nature of lifting it. And they come riding on a horse or whatever, and they're swinging that sword in battle. That's why the helmet was so important. It would protect them from those blows that, that could hurt them. Because when they were swinging that sword in the battle like a baseball bat, they weren't saying, I hope I take off their little finger. Or I hope I can hurt their shoulder. They were going for the head. And how many of you know that Satan loves to attack your head? He loves to mess with your mind. But you know that God gives divine assistance, and so you put on the helmet of salvation knowing that God gives you help for today. And so here's the good news. The personal presence of the Holy Spirit 
produces persistent, protective peace and power in the life of the believer. So we put on the helmet of salvation. So that's the first part of what it means to wear this helmet of salvation. It's a picture of divine assistance and him by his power giving us help for today. But the second thing is, it's a picture of divine assurance, him giving us hope for tomorrow. The Christian life is so misrepresented in so many ways. But one thing that sets Christians apart from any other person on the globe that doesn't know Christ is hope. Can you imagine living a life that is hopeless? You see, if, if this helmet of salvation means that we have help for today and hope for tomorrow, then what that implies and truly states throughout Scripture is, apart from Christ, you are helpless and hopeless. And you can't live very long without hope. We live with hope. We die with hope. That's who we are. Divine assurance gives to those who belong to Christ hope for tomorrow. On our way to church this morning, we almost were stopped by a funeral procession early on a Sunday morning. What a reminder that was. I turned to Deanne, I said, it, it just reminds you how fragile life is. It also reminds us how, how desperate we are for his help and his hope. And have you not been to a funeral for someone who did not know Christ? If I were to ask you to describe that, you, you might say, well, there was just this, this oppressive, empty feeling, or there... There was this wailing and there was this sense of despair. But then have you not been to the funeral of a strong believer who not only professed faith in Christ, but practiced their faith in Christ? And there was this atmosphere of jubilation and joy. Yes, tears were shed. But not for the one who was now in the presence of the Lord. It was sorrow in our hearts, but assurance, hope for tomorrow. Hope sets us apart. Hope makes us different. And so we put on the helmet of salvation. We put it there with the breastplate of righteousness and the the belt of truth and the footwear of the gospel of peace, and we hold the shield of faith, and then we wear the helmet of salvation, saying, I have divine assistance and assurance for today and tomorrow. He is with me. But again, that's not the only place we find this image of the helmet of salvation. If you go back to the tea books there and to the 
the very first one of them, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's talking about the, the day of the Lord and the, the coming of Christ and all the things that are going to occur around that. And you find reference here to the helmet of salvation. Let's read it in context. Verse 1 of chapter 5 in 1 Thessalonians. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober, self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober or self-controlled, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Do you see the picture there? The, the helmet of the hope of salvation. Help for today, hope for tomorrow. We have hope. We have hope. Now, I, I've included this quote on slides because I want this quote to sink into our hearts. Uh, William Gurnall, in his work, The Christian in Complete Armor, talks about hope in such a vivid way. I was going to plagiarize even if I tried to just say it because this so impacted my heart. Hope fills the afflicted soul with joy. Hope brings such consolation that the afflicted soul can smile even when tears run down the face. And hope never produces more joy than in affliction. Then he goes on. Hope breaks the alabaster box of the promises over the Christian's head and sends consolations abroad in the soul. And like precious ointment, these comforts exhilarate and refresh the spirit, heal the wounds, and remove the pain. And then he concludes, faith tells the soul what Christ has done, and hope revives the soul with news of what he will do. I love those words. Faith and hope. Now abide these three things. 
faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these will be love. Because once we are in heaven, we will be no longer walking by faith. We will be living by sight in his glory. And once we are with him in heaven, we will not be hoping. We will be amazed at what we had put our hope and trust in. And we will be enveloped in that eternal love of God. So let me encourage you today. We may, be, we may appear to be victimized in this spiritual battle, but in Christ we are victorious. We win. We heard a speaker not long ago that talked about being a Kentucky fan in basketball and how his, his wife just was overwhelmed when she watched him watch basketball games. She said, honey, you are insane. You're, you're talking to the coach. You're correcting the referee. You are acting as if you're playing, and every foul, it's as if they called that foul on you, and, and you are just out of control, and we can't have this anymore. And so he talked about how he began to record those games. And he still watches the games, but only after they're recorded, and he, he knows the final score before he watches what he's recorded. Talked about how he's watched one game over 30 times because Kentucky was so far behind. But he loved watching the comeback and the, the final shot that won the game. And he said, every time I watch it, I, I, I start seeing things unraveling for my team and, and I'm, I'm going and getting a Coke and I'm eating a sandwich and just smiling because I think, we're still going to win. I know how it ends. Have we not the privilege of seeing the fast-forward end of the game? Christ returns. He, he take us, takes us through death or through the rapture into his presence, and, and there we are to dwell with him forever in his presence. We when Satan loses, he's fighting a losing battle. The war has been waged and the war has been won. And these spiritual skirmishes that we are involved in really amount to very little. When you look at the final score, it's a blowout. God wins and he never loses. And there's never a battle again when Christ establishes himself completely and eternally as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we will reign with him. So don't worry, don't fret. You have help for today and hope for tomorrow. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to the Scripture and let it wash into your lives. The Scripture tells us love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. 
For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuine of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. And after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God omnipotent reigns. Salvation. I have been saved, I am being saved, and praise God, I will be saved. And there is coming a day when I enter into his presence and I have no longer any need for the helmet of salvation. It may be dinged and dented, but it will stand. And I will have that replaced by him who gives a crown of righteousness to those of us who long for his appearing. And I will take that crown and lay it at his feet because he is the author and the finisher of my salvation. We would like to thank you for joining us for this message from First Baptist Church in Crockett, Texas. 
First Baptist desires to be a house of prayer with a heart for people, making a difference by making disciples from our neighborhood to the nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, please visit www.firstcrockett.org. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you.